I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil actions and thoughts. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you have called us to be your children, that you have reconciled us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your creation. We thank you that you are God who is mighty and has created all, that the universe is yours. And we in the church are yours. Lord God, Prepare our hearts as we come before your word this morning. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would help us to understand these things. Open our ears to hear. Open our minds that we would understand what's before us in the text of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would show us and reveal sin in our lives, that you would shed light where, where light needs to be shed, that your spirit would illuminate and use your word to change us, that as we walk away from here, that we would look more like Jesus today. Amen. Well, just three hours to the east of us, there is a great city. Now, whatever you think about certain aspects or the politics of Chicago, uh, you have to admit that it's a grand, it has a grand history, a grand people, and it was, a, it was a lot of our forefathers who immigrated to that great city before they made their way across the Mississippi to an even greater land called Iowa. Right? As much as I love Chicago... I love Iowa. You know, one of the greatest treats of Chicago, though, is, is the incredible ethnicity within at least 77 different cultural, culturally diverse neighborhoods where you can experience a little bit of Italy, a little bit of Greece. You cross the street and you're in Poland. You go down the road and you're in Ireland and China. Just, just walking a few blocks, there's so many different ethnic experiences. And uh, I remember uh, going to lunch with um, some of my f- missionary friends from Greece, and they said, well, it's Greek days in Chicago, so we're going to go to Greek town, and we spent, and there was all kinds of festivities. I thought I had crossed out of the United States borders and into Greece and Athens itself. It was amazing, and, and Chicago has so much of that. You know, early on, though, Chicago was a city with a, a great plan, and innovation, innovation led to railroads, which led to the city becoming a great metropolis very early on. I hadn't realized that the city wasn't founded until 1833, and within 40 years, it had become the second largest city in the United States. 
But in 1871, a fire started in a barn. As the song goes, a cow kicked it over. Or old, old, what was their name? Old uh, O'Reilly, Miss O'Reilly. And the cow kicked it over, and, and the great fire started from the southwest portion of the city, and it burned a swath of land four miles long by, by one mile wide. Over uh, 73 miles of streets burnt to the ground. And as those buildings that had no fire uh, resistant material on them, just, they, they caught and then the wind blew and uh, the flames grew higher and higher. Over 300 people died. 90,000 people, one-third of the population of Chicago was left homeless a month before winter set in. Over 17,000 buildings burnt down in a blaze that destroyed one-third of this great city. But you know, the rebuilding of Chicago, it started immediately and, and the city grew again. In another 30 years, the population grew from 300,000 to 1.7 million. That's in the early 1900s. New skyscrapers went up. Fireproof materials, of course, were being used. And Chicago has become one of the greatest cities that we have in our country today, even with its politics. It's a story of great destruction and a great renewal, rebirth. We're drawn to stories of, of tragedy like this, and we're drawn to stories where tragedy becomes rebirth and tragedy becomes victory. And as we turn to the Scripture, God tells us of a story that's on, a, on an infinitely grand scale, a cosmic scale, in which His great creation, uh, in which He is the great creator, and He reveals a story that encompasses in His creation all things. All things. Not just one city, not just a, a small patch of land four miles long by one mile wide, but a, a, a story that encompasses all things. Not just our planet, but the entire universe. And in the, the entire universe cries out, longing for reconciliation from our Creator. The story of creation, tragedy, reconciliation, and resurrection, it extends from heaven to earth and encompasses all things, we're told in Colossians chapter 1, that are visible and all things that are even invisible. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul conveys to us a grand song. We've been looking at, at and we've been in the middle of this song that's, that's sung in Colossians chapter 1. Some of your versions of your Bible actually have things, it looks a little bit more like poetry rather than paragraph form. It's because this was probably an ancient hymn that was sung by the church. And in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul conveys to us this grand song that sings of our, our great Creator. Last week we looked at the first of two stanzas in verses 15 to 18, and we're told about one who is preeminent, preeminent over all of creation. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, it called him, which means not that he was the first created being, but that he is the one, uh, that he is the one who is above all. He comes in first place in all things. He is the one who has the right to rule. He is the one who has the right to inherit. He is the right to preeminence. All things were created through Him. He existed before all things. And, and all things are held together because He sustains the universe. Jesus is the Creator. And we saw how there's a lot of idols in our lives. A lot of other things that call out for your time and they call out for your attention, for your allegiance. And some of these are good things, like your family. Your jobs, your careers, your hobbies. And some of these things are evil. The pursuits of sin. 
but more worthy for your devotion and more worthy for your worship than any of these things is Jesus Christ. He made you. He existed before you. He he keeps you from spontaneously exploding, as Colossians tells us. He holds all things together. He holds you together. Your life is held together this very day because of Jesus Christ. And so this is a great song about God's creation and the One who is preeminent above all things, Jesus Christ. However, as we saw at the end of of last week's sermon, we saw that the the, the song takes a turn. It takes an unexpected turn right at at verse 18. And at the end of this first stanza, there's a declaration that's made that not only as it's talking about Jesus being the Creator, it says that He is the head of the body. And like the head of the, is the center of all thought and activity and life for the rest of the body, Jesus is where it all starts. And, and in this song where we've already learned that Jesus created all things, and we've seen that, that all things were created through Him and for Him, and all things are, are held together by Him, the reader that would expect the song to tell us that Jesus is the head over all things. But that's not what He says. Rather than He's the head of all things, He says He is the head of the body, and then two words explain what the body is, and He says the church. The church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so it's a little bit of an unexpected twist in the middle of a song because we are near singing this song of creation. All of a sudden, he turns from the creation of the universe to talking about the church. This new creation in which he is making all things new. And, and so in verses 18 to 20 today, we are going to... We're, um, <clears throat> I was going to say we we're going to sing the second stanza, but we're not going to, we're not going to actually sing it because I don't know the, 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 the lyrics. Uh, or the um, I know the lyrics, but I don't know the tune. Um, in verses 18 to 20 of this song, we're going to discover once again that Jesus is preeminent and, and He is reconciling all things. In the church, Jesus has begun a new creation in order to bring about a great rebuilding. Something happened in, in between our texts. Something happened and something was destroyed. And so now Jesus is creating new. He's renewing. He's resurrecting and restoring everything he says in the first stanza he proclaims the beginning of all things and in the second stanza he's going to declare to us God's plan for the glorious conclusion of all things and so all that begs the question what what happens in the middle what happens between verses 17 and 18 or right in the middle of 18 what leads us to to this shift in the song what happened after creation necessitates everything needing to be reconciled and the answer to that is a great rebellion that we see in throughout the rest of Scripture. And like a fire that destroyed a great city, sin entered into God's creation when one of God's most privileged, most beautiful creations, an angel held, who held one of the highest positions in all of, all of the universe, rebelled against that God. And he led with him a horrible rebellion of, of many other angels. And then he, he led the human race into that same destruction. And so many would say, after something like this happens, just wipe it all out. Why devote our time and attention? Why would God devote His time and attention to a creation that has rebelled against Him, that has given so much that is good? Leave, if, if it was Chicago, many would have said, and they did say, just, just leave Chicago. It's, it's gone. It's burnt. It's never going to recover. Go to Cincinnati or go to, go to St. Louis. Better yet, come over to Iowa. Why rebuild what, what, is, what was brought to such great devastation? 
And, and you see, God could have done the same thing. He could have had that same attitude towards fallen man and towards our fallen planet. He could have said, I don't want anything to do with this fallen creation. It's horrible. It's sinful. It, it, it is, it, it, everything that is holy in me is repelled by it. But he didn't do that. He chose to make peace with those who treated him with such hostility. And in Colossians chapter 1, 18-20, it shows us that not only is Jesus preeminent in creation, but he is also preeminent in the resurrection. In that through him, he reconciles all of creation to himself. Let's look. Back in verse 15, the first stanza had begun by attributing two titles to Jesus said that he is the image of the invisible God, and it also calls him the firstborn of all creation. Now, both are titles that point to him being God. Both of these are titles. We've discussed some of the complexities of those titles and, and how we read those titles in our culture today that's a little different from how they would have read it in the first century New Testament church. But both are titles that point to Jesus being the Lord, our creator, being God himself. And then now here in the middle of verse 18, again, as he makes this shift, I want you to notice that we again start the second half of this song with two more titles for Jesus that parallel those first ones. The first is that he is the beginning. The, the Greek word is arche, and in, in Greek, that word arche has a couple different meanings. It means beginning, and it also means ruler. And there's some ambiguity here. Does this does the song, is it talking about Jesus being the ruler or is he the beginning? And, and there's some ambiguity that's, I think, purposeful by the, in the song that, that makes us say it's both. He is the beginning and he is the one who rules. The song has turned our attention to Jesus as the head of the church. It calls him the beginning. And, and obviously the church began after Jesus came to the earth. But the point is, it's not the timing. We're not looking at the chronology of everything here, although that's involved in it. But that's not the, that's not the, what he's, the thrust is. We're not majoring on chronology, just like in the last stanza, the firstborn is not majoring on the order of something happening. Again, the point is that Jesus is number one. Jesus uh, is first place. And that word beginning, it includes the idea of Jesus being the start of the church and being the source of the church, but also it includes this idea that Jesus is the ruler of the church. The church started with Christ but Christ is the founder of this church. And likewise, firstborn from the dead, it points to the resurrection of Jesus being the resurrection that leads to all other resurrections. The fact that, that Jesus rose from the dead gives, gives, gives weight to the fact that, that one day after you and I die, we will also rise from the dead. In resurrection, death works backwards, as Peter Davis writes. New life is brought from the dead. And so Jesus is supreme not only in the first creation, but Jesus is supreme in the second creation, this new creation, his body, the church. And David summarizes it like this. He says, thus, we have two poles of a dynamic tension. If one goes to the beginning of creation, one finds him supreme over all things. And if one goes to the end of the time, one finds him supreme over all in the new creation. For the resurrection is the start of the end. And the whole future age being an outworking of what started on the day of Christ's resurrection. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. But all this points to a great purpose statement that you read at the end of verse 18, and it gives us really the thrust of the entire book of Colossians. If you want to understand Colossians, this is where it starts right here. Colossians chapter 1.18. This is the, the big idea of the entire book. It's what it's all about. 
that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you use preeminent as on, on a regular basis? Is that a vocabulary that you use every day? I, I don't. I mean, that, that's, that's not one that I throw around all the time. What does preeminent mean? It's, it's, it sounds like a big word, but it just means that he holds the highest rank. He, he, is, the, he is first place in everything. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than the gods that you worship. Jesus is greater than the problems you keep trying to fix yourself. Jesus is greater than the sin that is suffocating you. Jesus is greater than the sorrow that casts such a long shadow. Jesus is preeminent. And he gets first place. Eventually, Colossians is going to turn very personal. It's going to get really practical. And Paul's going to start making us feel a bit uncomfortable about ourselves and start pointing out some specific sins and some specific things that we need to look at in our lives that his preeminence needs to change if Jesus really has first place. But um, if Jesus holds the highest rank, then, then he is, getting first pla- is he getting first place in all things in my life? And that's the question that Colossians is eventually going to turn to. Does he get first place when my boss isn't in the room? Does Jesus get first place before your phone and your television? Is Jesus getting first place in your relationships, in sex, in the friends that you surround yourself with? Is Jesus getting first place in everything in your life? If He is preeminent in all of creation and He is preeminent at the end and making all things new and restoring this creation, then the big question comes, what about you in your life today? Is that restoration, that renewal, that reconciliation, is it, is it having its effect today? And is he preeminent in the way that you walk, in the way that I walk? And we see that Jesus is first over all of creation, and through him, all things are being reconciled. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, he's called you so that his preeminence can be put on display in the way that you lived your life. So let's finish the song and look at verses 19 and 20 where we're given two reasons why Jesus deserves this preeminence in everything in the church. First, it says, in him dwells the fullness of God. This brings us back around to the concept that Jesus Christ himself is God. He is the creator. As the second person of the Trinity, everything that God is, Jesus is. If there's an attribute, a quality, a perfection that defines and helps us to understand who God is, you will find that in Jesus Christ to the fullest extent. If you want to understand what God is like, then pursue a a knowledge and an understanding and a life of following Jesus. You remember what what Thomas said? He was talking with Jesus and, and Jesus uh, Thomas said, Lord, Lord, show us the Father. Show, what does he look like? What's it, what, who is he? Show us the Father. And Thomas says, so Thomas, how long, how long have you been with me? Don't you get it? If you know me, then you know the Father. If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Because to know me is to know God. Because I am God, Thomas. If you want to understand what God is like, then follow Jesus. Now, there were false teachers and we looked a little bit at this earlier, but there are false teachers that were trying to convince the Colossians that, that Jesus was kind of the gateway. That, that, that he, you know, maybe he was the introduction to something new. He was the introduction to this new life of Christianity or life with the, the God of Israel. And whether these false teachers were Gnostics or an early form of Gnostics or they were from one of the synagogues that were teaching some sort of heresy, um, 
Whatever the case, these teachers were coming, they were trying to convince the Christ, these Christians in Colossae that Jesus, you know, he was a good teacher. Maybe he was even more like one of, an, one of the angelic beings. They might have even called him a god. But Paul tells them that here in no uncertain terms that everything that God is is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And you cannot understand God without Jesus Christ. Peter O'Brien writes it this way. He says, these three lines converge at Colossians 1-19 in the person of Christ. He is the place in whom God in all His fullness was pleased to take up His residence. All the attributes and activities of God, His Spirit, Word, wisdom, and glory are perfectly displayed in Christ. This is no temporary indwelling as chapter 2-9 makes plain. In Him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is the one mediator between God and the world of mankind. The Colossian Christians need not fear those supernatural powers under whose control men were supposed to live, whether divine emanations, agencies, or the like. God, in all His divine essence and power, had taken up residence in Christ. And so Jesus is worthy. And He's worthy of first place in everything because, first of all, Jesus is God. All the fullness of God dwells in Him. And He reveals to mankind in the most beautiful and glorious display what God is like. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason why Jesus is worthy uh, to be preeminent in the church. Notice that He clarifies what He means by all things, and He says that through Him He reconciles all things. Jesus is worthy to be preeminent and to be considered preeminent and for me to live my life in a way that I recognize His preeminence because through Him He reconciles all things. Notice that He clarifies what He means by all things. And He says, whether on earth or in heaven, Jesus the Creator started a new creation through His resurrection from the dead. And, and rather than wiping out that creation, which he was set aflame by the rebellion of His creation, Jesus is bringing about reconciliation. He's restoring all things to the way that it ought to be. And thus, He is the preeminent One from the beginning of creation and all the way to the end where His creation will be made new. Now, this leads to a question. I don't know if you've asked a question already. When, you, when it says all things and He's reconciling all things, does anybody catch it? What, what, what question comes up? What are you thinking? Anybody? Does that create something a little uncomfortable? Yeah, what's, what's all things? Well, what do you mean by that, Craig? Is there some, something included in there that sounds a little bit like it doesn't quite fit? What about Satan? Is Satan included in, all, in those all things? What about all the, the angels of, 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 uh, that fell with Satan? He's restoring all things to the way that they ought to be. But this, this, as this, this includes this question of you know, what does he mean by all things? Does all things here include those angels that rebelled against God? Does it include people who refuse to acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior? We have to be careful that, that we don't take this out of context and we don't make the verse uh, try to make it say something that it does not because elsewhere in Scripture, God makes it very clear that His wrath is reserved for those fallen angels and for fallen men and women who, who do not have faith in Jesus Christ. However, I do believe there is a sense in which this reconciliation is universal. And before you walk out, let me define that. Because Paul says it here. He says he's reconciling all things, and he doesn't just say just people. He says in heaven and on earth. So we're talking about visible and invisible. We're talking about all things, really. 
Those who place their faith in Christ will experience peace with God, which comes by the blood of the cross. And you have to understand, this is the only means. The blood of Jesus Christ and Him dying on the cross is the only means by which um, that you can have peace with your Creator and receive forgiveness from the sins that alienated from you from His holiness. Jesus' death on the cross is the only means of salvation. And, and that salvation is received through faith in Christ alone. And so in what sense will Satan and his angels and those who rejected faith in Christ be reconciled? Well, I think Colossians chapter 2 gives us a little bit of a taste of what he's talking about here. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Um, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so there's the part we're familiar with, right? He's, he's redeemed us. He's paid for our sin on the cross. In verse 15, He says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Uh, I was trying to figure out how, how do I put some of these concepts together, and I, I think I, something clicked while we were singing one of those songs. I was just my mind was was thinking about this, and um, oftentimes you'll find a, a, a very awkward reconciliation that takes place between two different peoples. You ever seen um, peace treaties? You ever seen a war that takes place, and you have two enemies that are fighting against one another, and, and then at the end of the war, someone loses and someone wins. And now there's this awkward stage of, of finding peace with one another. Are, are they true friends? Have these two peoples come together and say, wow, we, everything we disagreed about is all of a sudden just amazing and, and perfect. And, and, and what were we thinking fighting against one another? Because I love you so much. Is that how these peace treaties work? Not the ones I've watched on the news. And this, you know, Israel and Gaza, and we have rockets flying everywhere. We saw a little bit of a, a ceasefire place a reconciliation of some sort took place and, and now gaza and israel are best friends and allies no that's not the kind of reconciliation we're talking about here but this reconciliation did take place it takes place at the end of world war one took place at the end of world war two but oftentimes the reconciliation that takes place is one like what is described in two, chapter 2 verse 15 jesus disarmed these angelic beings he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and it's a picture of of a roman general winning a war and what happens to the survivors of the other team they get paraded through town as the captives that's the kind of reconciliation that we're talking about with these angelic beings and so he is reconciling all things making all things new and restoring the universe to the way that it's supposed to be but sometimes this reconciliation is it involves the subjugation of of one side and not true peace as we discover uh, for those who are have a, who have a faith in jesus christ First Corinthians chapter 15, 28 talks about how all things will be put into subjection to Christ. Also, remember what Philippians chapter 2 says about Jesus' preeminence. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that in, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so here, there is a sense that rebel angels and the unredeemed men and women of this world will be reconciled through subjugation and judgment. 
Jesus is making the universe right, and he is reconciling all things to himself. And this includes the lake of fire, where even in the lake, even in eternal punishment, its inhabitants will acknowledge the preeminence of Jesus Christ. They will not have peace with God, nor will they experience the joy and gladness of his presence, but they will bow down to Jesus, and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. John MacArthur captured the idea really well when he said, on the other hand, there is a sense in which even fallen angels and unredeemed men will be reconciled to God for judgment, but only in the sense of submitting to him for final sentencing. Their relationship to him will change from that of enemies to that of the judged. You know, too often, we tend to be very human-centric when we talk about salvation and when we talk about hell, even. We, we, um, we look at things through a lens of everything revolving around us, around humanity. Certainly in Christ, those of us who have trusted in Him have been rescued from the fires of hell. And through Christ, we are no longer subjects of His wrath. And thanks be to God for his grace and for his mercy. Jesus is the creator, and Jesus is the one who will make all things new. However, we have to caution ourselves lest we disconnect the, the present reality from future certainty. Don't become ensnared by the lie that because your fire insurance is paid for, you can now enjoy a bonfire in the living room. Future guarantee of heaven where we will enjoy peace with our God. It does not give us the liberty to live today as though we are still at war with Him. If we have truly made peace with Him and He calls us friends, uh, I liked that translation Cindy used in that verse, He calls us friends. If we are truly at peace with Him and are friends of God, if our reconciliation has taken place, we cannot live as if our reconciliation is only in the future. Verses 21 to 23 gives us a preview of the next two chapters of Colossians. And, and having finished the song from verses 15 to 20, we're reminded that the preeminence of Jesus means that we are being presented before Him. And one day we will be presented before Him. It's a process that's taking place now, and it's a picture of, of, uh, of uh, the sheep coming into the temple area. And um, before that sacrifice was made, what, what would happen with the sheep? They, they would look it over. They, they would check, you know, is, is, this, is this a good sacrifice? Is it pure? Is it, is it holy? Is it, is, it, um, is it wholesome? And, and, and that's the word that's used here of, of, of looking at us and, and rec, not, excuse me, not reconciling us, but presenting us. Jesus is presenting us to God the Father. Verses 21 to 23 gives us this preview, and, and in this reconciliation, it's not just a future reality of peace. It includes this present reality of, our li of us today living our lives in his presence. Look at how that reconciliation is here described as a present reality. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And through his death, he reconciled us. But who were we before? Who were we before he reconciled us? We were his enemies. 
Our sin, our evil deeds, our constant violation of His holiness, it alienated us from the very One who created us. We were hostile. Hostile. But Jesus brought about reconciliation by giving Himself as a substitute. The Son of God, God Himself, came to earth, He became a man, and then He he was crucified on a cross so that He would take all the punishment that you and I deserved. All of God's wrath was pointed towards Him and everything that God saw in Jesus Christ on the cross was everything that God hated. All of our sin. And God turned all of His wrath upon the Son. All that God saw when He looked at Jesus there was our sin. So that by His grace, by receiving the salvation that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, When God now looks at you today, if you have trusted Him and Him alone, all God sees when He sees you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus brought about this reconciliation by giving Himself as a substitute. He satisfied God's wrath and He created peace through the blood of the cross. But take a second look at this purpose, the the purpose here. It's not just for your ticket into heaven. That's not what it says, is it? That's included. But that's not the main purpose of why He reconciled you. The main purpose isn't so that, so that your life can, can be a little smoother and nice and, and you, know, you feel joy inside. That's great, and that comes with it. He doesn't take away every problem and, and, and smooth over every trial in your life. Those are there for your good too. But, but that peace and that joy and, and everything that, that, that you receive with Christian life, that's not the purpose either, is it? It comes with it. It's one of the purposes, but it's not the main thing. He says, in order to present you before Him. Now. This is a present reality. And Jesus, the head of the church, is in the process of creating a people who are holy and blameless and without blemish, above reproach. Paul is going to develop this idea in chapters, chapter 1, verse 24, up to chapter 2, verse 5. This is kind of, if you want an outline of Col- the main part of Colossians, look at, at verses 21 to 23. This, this is an outline of the rest of the book. He's giving you a preview of the rest of it. But, but he's, he, he's, he's telling us that Jesus is presenting you before the Father, and He's in the process of sanctifying you, of making you holy. Presenting you in a way that you are worthy to stand before God the Father. And one day, you will be not only, not only free from the power of sin, but you will be free from the very presence of sin itself. In chapter 2 of Colossians, he's going to continue this idea of what our life under our great master should look like. And he briefly introduces that idea here in verse 23. He gives us a taste of it. And he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, and, and, and he uses the word if. And we use the word if in English, and sometimes that means a lot of things, doesn't it? In, in Greek, it's great because there's a way of putting the words together that tells you exactly what he means by that. But when, we, when I say if, it, um, it, Angie and I were talking yesterday. I think she was telling the story. I'm going to watch David ice cream. But um, uh, she was telling the story of uh, David wanting a dog. And, and I, I made David a promise. I said, okay, if you keep your room clean for a year, then you can have a dog because it was pretty nasty, um, right? Sometimes both, but the room. And so it was an if statement. And what did I mean by that if statement? Was it a if you keep your room clean, you can have a dog? 
Or was it more if, and you, this probably won't happen, then you can have a dog, which again, probably won't happen. But what happened? <laughs> he kept his room clean for a year. And so we had to fulfill the promise. And it's one of the best dogs we've ever had. Lucky's been great. But um, sometimes if means eh, it might happen. Sometimes it means if, <laughs> yeah, right. But in Greek, that's not the kind of if statement that we're getting here. When he says if, this is a statement more along the lines of if, and I assume that this is true, guys. Colossians, if this is a reality, and I assume that this is the truth. Uh, it, it's not one of those, eh, probably not. Or if, and yeah, no, this isn't the case. But if, and yeah, I, this is probably the case. You see, those who have truly trusted Christ will continue in faith. They will remain stable and they will remain steadfast. They won't shift from the hope of the good news. One of the marks of genuine faith is that faith perseveres. Now, there are a lot of people that say, oh, I believe in Jesus and I believe in love and I believe in all this stuff. And they haven't truly trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They haven't truly come to a genuine understanding of who He is and acknowledged the sin in their life that has separated them from this holy God. But if your faith is genuine, then that faith will continue and, and, and it will remain stable and it will remain stable to the point that Paul can tell them. He said, if, if indeed you continue in the faith and you're stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard. And he goes on in the last part of verse 23, he says, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And again, this is just a preview of what he's going to show us in chapter 3, but the idea of chapter 3 is that if he has reconciled you, and if you are truly one who has genuine faith, then it's going to change your life. It's going to change the way you walk. And you're going to be a new person as a result of your relationship with Jesus, the one who is preeminent. Reconciliation with Jesus Christ means that your life is a living proclamation of the gospel. Other people, the entire rest of creation, should be looking at you going, what's different? What is different about this person? Why do they walk the way that they walk? Because most people don't act like that. There's something unique about them. Your present reconciliation means that your life is hidden with Christ. It means that, that we put to death the sins which defined us the way we were before. It means that, that we put on His righteousness it means that we put in His Word. And Colossians chapter 3 is going to, to, to unfold a lot of that, but it means that we live life in light of the heavenly realities in the present world today. We have a responsibility to live as His new creation during this life now. And so Jesus is greater. Not just greater in the creation, but He is greater in the church. He is preeminent. Not just preeminent, the preeminent one in creation, but preeminent in the resurrection. He is first in creation. He is first in resurrection. He is first in His reconciliation of all things to Himself. He is first in the process of making the universe right. Whether it means peace with those that He has called according to His purpose or judgment for those who have rejected that peace. And He is worthy of being put first place in all things because He is God Himself. Because He is the incarnation that God has revealed, in, in which God has revealed Himself to us. And because He is the great reconciler. First, let me let each of us search our minds and our hearts. 
my challenge to you today is that you in your own heart would search yourself and ask yourself if you've responded to this genuine, in genuine faith to the one who shed his blood on the cross for you. If you're plodding through life and you find yourself this morning going, yeah, I'm hoping that someday I'll be good enough. I'm hoping that on the other side of eternity, on the other side of heaven, when I, I meet that place, whatever it is, I'm hoping that I've just done enough good stuff that, that I'll get in. If that's your attitude and that's your heart, you're not going to do it. There is absolutely no way that you can make that happen. You can never be good enough and holy enough. If you are plodding through life and just trying to prove you're worthy enough and hoping that perhaps God will grant to you this peace and this reconciliation on the other side of life, then you must understand that you cannot do it. Your sin separates you from being included in his resurrection and in the new creation in which he is making all things right in a peaceful relationship with him you will never be able to reach the standard required because no man except for jesus christ can fulfill those holy requirements there's only one name in creation by which anyone can be saved and that is the one man jesus christ my plea to you is be reconciled to him acknowledge the sin that is so real in your life that separates you from a holy god acknowledge him and trust in him and him alone and the work that he accomplished for you on the cross and finally if you are a christian if you have trusted him if you have this relationship with him and you've been reconciled and have that peace with him today if you've been reconciled with your creator by the blood of christ then let us live so live as those who are now at peace with your god live in light of eternity live as those who are being presented before him and will be kept until that day when he will present you without sin live as those who are ministers of the gospel of reconciliation may your life be lived out and may your words proclaimed to all of creation that the one that we serve is indeed greater jesus today we acknowledge that you are preeminent we look at the creation around us we look at all the mighty things that that, that this world offers and, and this universe offers we look into the microscope when we look through the telescope and we see the smallest organisms the smallest molecules and then we look out into space and see the grand universe and all that it contains and we recognize that you are the creator that did it all you were there before it and and you hold it all together you hold us together. But we also recognize that you are the head of the church. And that in the church, in, in this resurrection, this reconciliation that you are bringing about, that you are restoring your creation to what is right, to what it is intended to be, and you will be glorified. And so Father, it's my prayer that this day, as we walk away from here, as we sing this last song, as we fellowship with one another, that everything we do this morning, in Sunday school, in fellowship, as we go home to our families, when we eat lunch together, that everything, every word, every deed, every thought, that, that all of it would be submitted to our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would walk in this reconciliation and our lives today would, 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 um, would look like those who have been reconciled. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the one who has called us. And so we worship you today because you are great. Amen.